0: Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, second-year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hey. Dr. Saloni Singh, third-year psychiatry resident. Hi, Hi, Saloni.
1: Hi, Dr. Parks. Thanks for having me on.
0: I oh, absolutely glad you're here. And second year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Good day. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched to those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Well, on today's show, this is part three of our cannabis uh, dominated and themed episodes. We're going to <laughs> focus a little bit on the cultural aspects of cannabis and also just addiction in general. Uh, that, that's what It's saga? good that we have. Yeah, I know. It's. I, this is the I didn't first know how it was going to end. Part.
2: Yeah, this is the first time we've had a three-part thing.
0: Three I think it's thing. important to talk about the cultural aspects because I've always been wondered. I want to hear what you all think about. Mm-hmm. Why is it that the United States leads the world in drug addiction? i just kind of start there. What is it about us that we just can't get enough of drugs?
2: Do we? Our I didn't know that.
0: Our society is unbearable, so it's people can... <laughs> It's in response. It's a <laughs> rational response to how bearable we are. <laughs> Is that a Sarah? I know. Does anyone have a, a speculative guess uh-huh. on what it is? What's going on with us?
3: I'm, we, I'm we're actually being...
0: not. That was not entirely a joke. That
3: was 50% a joke.
1: I I think I kind of agree with you, Alan. Um, I mean, American society is rough <laughs> for, for the average person, um, you know. Uh, but I think that, and this is what we'll talk but it's about. But
0: is that first world problems, Saloni? <laughs> how rough can we ha- How rough can the richest country in the world have it?
3: Yeah, the richest country in the world with, with increased uh, upward social comparison and kind of that, you know, New York is a great microcosm for the U.S. You ask someone in New York like about their day and, and they tell you about 50 ways how horrible it was and then they, they say, you should move here. It's amazing. If you can live here, you can live anywhere. And they all say that. If you can live here, you can live anywhere. And they have that tattooed on their frontal cortex and they're so proud of it and their lives suck.
0: It does seem a little more rat-racy on the. I think Atlantic you're skateboard. right. Yeah,
1: I think I mean New York is an obvious like extreme example, but I do think that America is a lot of is very rat-racy. It's very much a jungle. I mean, yeah. I think about this constantly. And
3: we um, have bought you know, the, the, the high-tech newest hedonic treadmill, and we are proud of it, and we are showing it
0: off on our Instagram.
1: As a now, replacement for their addiction, though, right?
0: <laughs> so. And now I, have see, I have read some research on this, like, uh, you know, they've studied this, so they've studied Puerto Rican immigrants, uh, and they've looked at uh, rates of addiction, and they found that in Puerto Rico, there's a low rate of addiction, and their speculation is that they have really strong extended families and good social support. Uh, but when they come to the United States, then suddenly they start, uh, the, their addiction rate starts going up and matching that of uh, U.S. residents, because... There, those strong social supports that extended family is not present. I, but I wonder what other people think. Do, is it, do they buy that? as maybe a possible explanation. i buy it, Doctor Parks. But we have an, a very individualized country. Go for it. Uh, just you know, just do it. And so uh, you know, nab and grab as much as possible. Maybe there's not this idea that you know, do, you know, don't let down your elders are saying, hey, say no to drugs. You know, don't you have you have an obligation to us also? Is that part of it, maybe? I
1: think, I think, yeah, I think it, um, it's part of just having an identity and belonging. And, um, and I, and I probably mentioned this like five or six times, but really, I do feel like the opposite of addiction is connection and social connection. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I do think that, yeah, obviously, in certain societies, there's a huge stigma. And there's, you know, that part of it, there's a lot of shaming around drug use, which I don't know necessarily how useful that is. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But um, but I think that social connectedness is huge and America is becoming less and less and less socially connected over time. We've become more secular so people are losing that religious community that they used to have. We've become um, more multicultural but with an emphasis on assimilation. so you know you're not really belonging to any one group. Um, there's there's this identity confusion in America which I think is actually has actually led to the rise of nationalism white nationalism in America. Um, but that's a
2: whole different, that's a whole different Whoa, topic. Oh, that sounds fascinating. But,
1: um, but yeah, I think that there's just a lot of people don't really know where they belong. And it's, and then, you know, outside of that, like we talked about, it's a rat, it's a rat race. So there's just no escape.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So if a society values and prioritizes being an individual, finding your passion, uh, being your person, your own person, that's going to be independent, then yeah, there seems like that would increase the number of people wanting to Find connection, and wanted to find their place, and then if you lack it, then yeah, you might turn to drugs, drug use. Now, I want to throw some uh, some controversial things. Maybe why is it that um, uh, uh, that men have higher rates of addiction than women? What is going on there? What is the difference between that's? What...
1: I you know honestly, I think it's social connection again. <laughs> I'm going to be wait. What are, you, what are you What are
0: you implying, so? <laughs>
1: My social mm. connections are fine. Mm. <laughs> well, that's because you're hanging out with us, right, Doctor Parks? Our social oh. connections are great. Uh,
0: <laughs> that's why.
3: Good touche.
1: I think Dr. a lot Parks, of men. We organize
3: this podcast as a way to try to increase your social connection. Thank you, I appreciate you're that. worry that you would fall into a deep, deep addiction. <laughs> I need that. I need this that. This is an hour. intervention.
2: This whole podcast is an intervention. I
3: will say this is a though, three-year intervention.
2: But not I, a cult, I, but not a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Important <laughs> distinction.
0: <laughs> Shout out to our last episode. Yeah, no, I mean, and also, African Americans, adolescent and adults, have lower rates than European Americans. So, what, does anyone have any speculation about why that is? According I mean, to the latest, I step. see what
3: you're getting at. They, I, I this may maybe this is some kind of a a positive stereotype, but I I do feel like. Uh, European Americans are like the least connected people. And when I think of uh, Mm -hmm. like strengths of the African American community, I do think of social connection and that's based on no data whatsoever.
1: There it is.
0: Yeah. They've extended strong extended families. Yeah.
1: I think, yeah, this was actually something that, um, I think that you make a great point, Alan. And yeah, mine is not necessarily coming from a scientific point of view, but there's this idea, right, that we can't really have something called white pride. I mean, that's viewed very negatively. I mean, that is basically white nationalism. So there's no like uh, unifying sort of like heritage for European Americans aside from, you know, Europe, basically, which is like a very vast and varied place. And so they can't, they don't have white pride. Um, whereas, you know, the black community has black pride and for good reason, they've been othered forever and they've been subjugated. And so they've, you know, built social connectedness through that. And despite that, and in order to get through that, you know, so I think that that is part of it for sure. I don't think it's an accident that you don't see, um, you know, mass shooters, or I don't think it's an accident that you see white young, uh, men being, you know, the main source or whatever, the, the oh, main perpetrators of mass shootings.
3: Yeah. So, lonely. okay. So, I have to, uh, I think if I just- Yeah, we're getting
2: into it. I'm
3: okay. So, okay. So, I'm de-identifying, but I had a an African-American gentleman in my adolescent unit earlier this year who made the comment. Um, he. I, I just heard some of the kids messing around and he said, you know- None of uh, none of the shooters are ever black. It's always you guys, and I, I just that stayed in my head for. I was like, yeah, that that is quite true. I mean, I don't have any data on this either, but no, <laughs> that's
0: that's definitely true. cultural differences there going on.
1: But I think to come back to your do- point, Doctor Parks, I think that men tend to be less socially connected. They've, I mean, there have been countless studies showing that women are very socially connected with each other and with men in their, in their societies, and their families, and their communities, um, with their kids, you know, etc. But you see, there's a reason that the suicide rate goes way up for uh, single men versus married men, um, but not the same for single women versus married women.
0: So, okay, so let me kind of just say, ask this then. Do you feel like then the drugs kind of simulate the sense of connection, like opiates, it sounds like that would be the first thing that came to mind. But also things like, you know, this kind of go back to cannabis. Cannabis, there's a cannabis culture. You know, there's like that, that you pass weed around and um, you're kind of all, um, you're all fine with weed. There's, a, and that is kind of a connection too. Is it that part of it? Well, you're asking
3: two questions. You're asking, do they simulate connection in which case you would have to look at the drug when being used while someone is lonely and isolated versus do they offer an invitation to connection? And, and both I certainly both. Think,
0: is it both of those things.
3: Yeah. So I think there are subcultures where they offer an invitation to connection. And I thought Saloni's point was interesting about, you know, for the, for single women versus single men who's the one who are who are the people that are needing that invitation to connection and and maybe Women are also doing better because single ladies have the song by Beyonce, All the Single
2: Ladies. Oh, <laughs> okay, I want to move past that really quick. Okay. <laughs> Alan, your point about social connection. So I was just thinking like uh, you said, subgroup. I would say, just society in general, uh, the relationship we have with alcohol. It's really permiss- permissive in social settings as a way to lubricate conversation and reduce social anxiety. So I think I've had a lot of patients who you know, start just like that, you know, using it for parties to make it easier for themselves, more tolerable, these um, social interactions, and then it just kind of gets out of hand from there. I think, yeah. And same I think with this is cannabis. Same peer, peers use it because their friends are, sorry, I have patients who start using it because their, their friends offered it to them or their brother offered it to them or sister or whatever.
1: I think that, yeah, I do think that cannabis can be a very social drug, just like alcohol, um, and usually less destructive than, than what you're describing, Tosha. Um, and I think that you, the, the cannabis culture comment you made, Dr. Parks, really had me thinking now because just of what we just talked about, the rat race, right, and how America is this rat race, this jungle, um, it's all about who can get ahead, who can, you know, uh, do the most, essentially. Um, and cannabis is kind of a response to that in some ways. You know, cannabis is about letting go, being relaxed. Not having to do much really at all. Um, you know, and it's, I mean, that's part of the problem, right? Like, that's part of the problem with people who use cannabis chronically is that they become unmotivated. And so you um, believe that um, there's like, like an amotivational
0: motivational syndrome or a bit with cannabis? Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've heard my patients tell me about it, you know, and you can see that it affects them, especially, of course, if you start when, from a very young age, chronic heavy use from a very young age. Uh, Less so it's less pronounced if you if your uh, age at first use was higher, but it's there. And I think that it is actually a direct response to the rat race. I've actually thought about this a lot, um, that I think a lot of people use cannabis because it helps them to not need to be so much to do so much to be constantly trying to get ahead.
0: Wow, That's interesting!
2: It really, you know, like you're saying, Saloni. So, so much of our society focuses on the future. What, what's the next thing I have to do, rather than staying in the present? And weed. One of the things weed weed does is like hyper focuses you on the present.
3: I, we talk about mindfulness in our therapeutic interventions, and yet our one of our kind of um, most heralded adjectives that we can use to describe a patient with a good prognosis is future oriented. Mm. Mm.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what,
1: that's that's a good point.
0: I want I want to ask like, um, how comfortable is everybody that um, cannabis is a lot of is frequently lumped in with the same as these other drugs? Uh, you know, with these other addictive drugs. I mean, is it? Um, I, I, you know, I just don't. I feel like um, one of the big cultural differences is that people have this idea of cannabis that is wrong, just straight up wrong. I and mean, I feel like, you know, when I was looking at some studies of, like, you know, comparing like Sweden, for example, with Canada. So uh, Canada just recently, you know, kind of fairly recently re- legalized marijuana, and so you know there there's uh, there's more knowledge. Forty percent have tried, whereas Sweden kind of lumps it with other drugs like, you know, like opiates and things like that. And so very few people have tried it. They're kind of fearful of the effects and the impact of it. So, uh, you know, I'm wondering, like, how much in our society uh, cannabis has been influenced by lumping it in, by, you know, uh, being in the the addictive category and things like that. Now, if you're just listening to us, we're we're, uh, listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. We're talking about cannabis and the cultural aspects of cannabis and addiction. Also, and I just asked a question about uh, you know the, the the different cultures and how uh, in in their perspective of cannabis and their and how that affects use. It and seems so, evident
3: yeah. that cannabis is addicting to me, at least, Doctor Parks. I'd be curious what Saloni probably knows the data on that. But I think if I were to sense a difference, it would just be that cannabis seems to overall be. Somewhat more benign than some of the other drugs that it's lumped in with, and and I think there is there were political reasons originally, political and economic reasons in the United States where it was lumped, why it was lumped in for those reasons. But who's to measure how serious, irreversible? What? Well, I don't. And and irreversible, I say with an abs, an asterisk. But psychosis, right? I mean, I think something that can cause psychosis is and does in so many of our patients is worth lumping in with, you know, drugs with a capital D. Yeah,
1: I think, um, I think that lumping is almost never a good idea (laughs) when it comes to educating people on drugs. I think people need as much information as possible. Uh, When I approach my patients in clinic, I never take that dr- all drugs are bad and you shouldn't do any of them because it doesn't it's going to make your meds not work and it's going to make your illness worse. I never take that that approach with them. Um, whether that's true or not, I mean that's there's a lot of literature saying, you know, one one thing and there's a lot of literature saying the other, but it just doesn't work. I don't think it works, you know. I think if we're going to talk about it's very similar to the dialogue around sex education. Right, like abstinence only education does not work. We've seen that it doesn't work. People are gonna try drugs at some point. A lot of people are. And I think, it's, and I'm talking specifically about adolescents. Um, for example, the D.A.R.E. program, right? So I don't know if you uh, remember having this in school but I had D.A.R.E. like, um, in basically all of elementary school and it was really just this blanket statement against drugs that all drugs and alcohol are bad. Peer and pressure too, right? And peer pressure. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's actually been some, this is not a study or anything, just something I read online that some people actually personally stated that that was really harmful rhetoric for them because when they were told that all drugs are bad and you're lumping say cannabis with heroin, you know, in that, in that situation. And then they try cannabis for the first time because inevitably that's the first one you try. Right. They try it and it's not so bad at all, and then they assume that everyone is lying about all the drugs, and that we're mm-hmm. that they're just exaggerating mm-hmm. to keep you away from drugs. And that's why I think that keeping pe- giving people less information is usually not a good idea, especially like adolescent.
0: This is why, I, yeah, this is why I think it's so difficult to categorize cannabis and talk about cannabis because it has so many different effects on different people. That's number one. It has this medical use. Uh, which I don't you know, I don't feel like a lot of drugs do have that any kind of medical kind of benefit. Yeah, except we yeah, have for pain relief, right, right right, for surgeries and things like that. But yeah, but like when you're talking about like, um, you know, is there a safe level or is there a beneficial is there a medicinal quality to it? You know, and and there are some studies that support there's a replacement that's going on. It's not huge, though, when I looked at this latest just this, just this last night, and tonight, when I looked at the most recent research, there's a slight, decrease in binge drinking, there's a slight replacement, a, a, a reduction in purchasing of alcohol in places where they've legalized it, but it's very small. But I feel that, it, that is, that's something, I think that's what makes, that's one of the reasons why cannabis is so difficult to talk about, because this unique reaction, It's kind of crosses some lines
1: a little bit. It's, yeah, when I was reading this article, and this was about just uh, cultural views on cannabis and how they affect, um, Uh, rates of addiction or rates of people meeting the criteria for the use disorder or basically meeting the criteria, the medical criteria for addiction. Um, It said that cannabis is actually one of the least well-studied substances in addiction. Part of that has of course been because of its schedule one status for a long time. Um, And then also just in terms of, I think, damage that's done with people who are uh, addicted to cannabis, It, it just pales in comparison when you look at damage done by people addicted to alcohol. For example, it's, you know, numerous studies have shown that alcohol has much, much um, more destructive effect and impact on society. But, um, but I did want to say that about other Western countries and how they view cannabis, it's really, uh, it's really interesting. So in the past 20 or so years, um, initially in America, about 20 ish years ago, in, in the, in the 90s, so it's it more than 20 years ago now, but they thought, you know, about 80% of people viewed cannabis as risky in 2014. That's gone down to 40%. So that's cut in half Mm. in 20 years. If you look at Europe in the same period of time, it is not the same. They back, um, at that time it was 70% and now it's still around 70% view it as risky. And that is not to say that these are people living in societies where it's shamed or, uh, stigmatized it's still a pretty relaxed attitude about, um, and that's what the, the article was saying, that there's a lot of countries with relaxed attitudes towards cannabis use that still educate people on the risk of cannabis. And the perception of risk is still there, even though it's relaxed around it and it's legalized or decriminalized. And actually they've shown that Australia, for example, um, your people are more likely to meet the criteria for cannabis use disorder in Australia um, and they think that that's because of the because of this particular approach, being relaxed about it, but still talking about the risks uh, and going from a harm reduction point of view. And of course, of course, the access to public health care. We have to remember that, um, you know, as soon as you admit that you have a problem, what are you going to do about it? Right. I mean, if you don't have access to health care or addiction medicine, how are you going to take care of it? And I think that not having an option is part of the reason why people struggle to Make that admission that they have a problem.
0: Now, can I can I ask you all a question? The, do you feel that legalization in California and you know in the United States in, in some states, do you feel it's been a net good thing or a net bad thing? Because you know, yes, use has I, I latest research I saw doubled. Okay, it's the availability to adolescents, like we were talking about. I think it's it's pretty solid that you know, basically, so adolescents should not be using cannabis at all. That's just my opinion.
3: But and, um, but you feel the, the last conversation, I, I, I think I'm probably in the minority and I, I recognize that I, I think it's been a net bad thing. And I, yeah, I mean, I see my adolescent patients, every single one of them is, is, I mean, not, not every single one of them, but a huge percentage of them are using cannabis. And I feel like the arguments that are being made that kind of compared to alcohol um, and say that it, you know, yeah, cannabis is much less harmful than alcohol. To me, this kind of—I'm recognizing my own sense of discomfort with this conversation, and also my sense of kind of feeling maybe like an unrealistic outsider. I was raised in a family where our dad told us everything about drugs and told us we could try drugs very early on, and that we could talk to him about it. So that sort of points to saloni's anecdotally points to saloni wow, that worked. Yeah, and then either my <laughs> sister or I drink or do any drugs, but because of that for me the idea that i have to accept this as like well people are going to do it in the same way that i have to accept that people are going to do sex is insane to me sex is this positive beautiful thing that i want to train people to do safely and in the best way possible and at the appropriate age and the idea that i have to accept that oh everyone's going to that my patients are going to be using these substances that are are pretty much for sure going to at least cause some pathology in their life, especially if they're using them as adolescents is a really hard pill for me to swallow. But that's not true. Okay. The
2: the statement you made just now that no matter what cannabis is going to cause pathology, even, you know, especially in adolescents it's not, it's not true. Uh,
3: So, so maybe it's not, I, I mean, I, I don't know that, we know. Um, I don't know that. I mean, does it? I don't know. Are you talking know about any net. level
0: of use is bad? Is that what you're saying? Or I don't
3: know. I think it would be like you'd have to do a, a study as big as like the Mediterranean diet study, where you have to take huge parts of a population over many, many years, and you'd have to see on all a lot of different endpoints are they better off or worse off? And I would suspect that that people would be worse off. But I have no. Again, I, I have a tremendous bias here. Um, but what I do know is that comparing it to alcohol for me is something that doesn't work because I feel that our, I feel that that's just another marker of like what I see as the insanity of our society, that there's so many billions of dollars, um, imbibing us all with the, with alcohol business and money and marketing that it's unfathomable for alcohol to be at all regulated, um, for there to be any kind of you know, progress in terms of trying to lower alcohol addiction in our country, and also the the enormous morbidity and mortality, not just to people using alcohol, but to bystanders um, with drunk driving and stuff. The idea of, of prohibition is seen as like as extreme as uh, you know anything else that our society completely opposes, and anything on a on a spectrum from that, even any kind of regulation, is seen as draconian. I don't relate
0: to that, really. So it's just cannabis, adding cannabis to already a, a kind of a, a dysfunctional society or kind of a sickness in our society is just not helping anything. Anymore. And, du- well, doubling its use. I love the harm reduction stuff. I love the
3: harm reduction. I don't see this as having been a harm reduction. I think this was, I mean, doubling the use is not a harm reduction.
0: Lower and drinking. I think there was like 9% or something around there, 3 to 9%. Lying binge drinking, but yeah, you're right. But I I take your point is that, that there hasn't been these these major studies that have showed that there's been a huge benefit. What 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 are your thoughts? My thought, and before anyone, I, I just want to squeeze my thought in there, is it's is the United States kind of an immature country, and that you know we're kind of going through our growth phases, and pretty soon cannabis is going to be boring, and just alcohol is going to be boring, and it's like so passe that we're going to just be oh, addicted that's to an it. Interesting idea. I, I just got kind of, I feel that. Some countries are just more advanced in the in the, the, the issue of, of, of drugs and alcohol. We're we're the worst, but you know. But how do you get there? I, I don't. I, I agree with Sloane. I, I feel like you shouldn't do this just say no thing. I feel like that doesn't work. I, I agree with your parents, Alan. That you know, it really keep people informed, make it their choice, and then you've chosen to not use. And you've been the benefit for it. You've, you've, but you've somehow
3: paradoxically, I've ended up being, although all of, uh, you know, many and many of my friends are are hippies, I've ended up being, regarding drugs, this kind of, dr- like, just say no, kind of square, annoying person. And I and I struggle with that. And and Tosha appropriately kind of called me on how my whole, a lot of my therapeutic practice with adolescence is, is has some amount of um, paternalism in it and... So this is an interesting conversation, one that I'm growing from, and I, are there I any, really Let me Let me ask,
0: before we're kind of running down of time, and I want to touch on something, are there individual differences? Because I'll just be kind of honest, I'm like my parents, neither of my parents drink or use drugs, uh, and I don't have to really have that in my history, and I feel like I just don't want it. I, I mean, I... I've, I'll drink occasionally and things like that but i just don't i don't feel need to want it and i just maybe i think that sounds like a more of a genetic thing i think but is it is it is it possible there are just individual differences and have animal studies I, re, I was reading a few a few animal studies that do support that that there's individual differences that are just you're less susceptible to addiction does anyone have any thoughts about that
2: i mean also it's kind of like what Saloni was talking about earlier like um substances being used to replace what was it a sense of community or social connection I mean Dr. Parks you have a lot of interests like you know you're cycling and all all, you have a lot of good friends you're very close with your family you've got a lot of stimulation going on that's very uh, therapeutic in those regards maybe you don't have things necessarily that you need to run away from or not think about from your past or or whatever because you have other ways of of healing safe ways of coping things like that
0: so that that sounds like uh it's just like happenstance it's like that i just was in well this i think that there's a lot
2: of a lot of factors that go into why someone chooses to use or doesn't choose to use
3: I think a lot of it is, is one is single exposure. If you're lucky enough to go through a life where you never have an exposure to how good drugs can feel while you're in a weak point, then you never, for at least for me, I feel like that was just by having that early inoculation of the naughtiness being taken away. I never wanted to try them and I had a healthy respect for what addiction could be because people in my family were, were open with me about it. And, um, I feel like if you're protected from that, you're good. But if you have, it's it's like this: if you use drugs a certain number of times, and then you have hard times a certain number of times, it's like you're increasing the chances that you're gonna use drugs during a hard time. Your brain's gonna be like, "Oh wow, this is a great coping skill," and then you're and then now you're in. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I think I, I, I think that's a great point, Alan, about the single exposure and like um basically being exposed at the wrong time and how timing is so important. And obviously age is a huge part of that, which is why yeah. I still don't think that adolescents should use cannabis. Um, or at least it should not be something that should be chronically used by adolescents, right? I mean adolescents are gonna are also drink and other things. Um, but I, I think that when there needs to be a lot more education about that and using it not as a way to cope during a weak point, right? Um but there are differences. I mean, aside from obviously what we've, what's probably pretty evident to everyone, underlying mental illness that's untreated is obviously um, you know, a predisposition to developing addiction because you're self-medicating on, on the, in a certain way. Um, but, but basically there are some genetic differences in, and I don't have to go into the specifics, but basically different ways um, that our brains differ in terms of connectivity in the uh, fronto parietal lobes, and this is just different based on genes and environment, you know, like everything in medicine it's gene environment interaction and they've shown that certain people who use cannabis chronically that have more of this connectivity. Um, in this frontoparietal parietal and frontolimbic limbic uh, circuits, they are more likely to develop compulsive use habits um, and they think it has to do with sensitization to cannabis cues. And things like that. Um, and there's just, I mean, it's very, very complicated, but basically there there is precedent for this. They've done Q reactivity studies for nicotine and alcohol in many different types of populations. And it really varies based on gene and environment. So, you know, basically your genetics and your culture um, and that sort of thing.
0: And soon they might develop an assessment to find out who's more vulnerable than others, perhaps, who knows? All right. <laughs> That's all the time we have in this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today, we discuss cannabis and addiction in general. Thank you to our hosts, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi, Dr. Saloni Singh, and Dr. Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, suggestions for the show, you can write us at Get Psyched on KUCR at gmail.com, and you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. This episode was recorded in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer at KUCR, Elliot Fong. so special thanks go out to him. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.